And Lord, we pray for the teacher down there today, <laughs> all wired up. <laughs> well, how's everybody doing this morning? That bright sunny, I'm just like, wow, that sun's really coming in that window. Man, whoo. Garner said no complaints. Actually, I was like, it was two weeks ago, Garner and I meet on Thursdays to pray, and it was like, uh, that day he came in, and usually we pray down here, and I was up in my office, and I'm like, the sun was shining so nice through. I'm like, you might as well enjoy it when you get it, because sometimes in the winter, it spends a lot of time behind the clouds. Might as well enjoy it while it's shining. So, Father, we thank you for the sun that is shining. Now, Lord, we, we direct our attention to your word. We thank you for your word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that, Jesus, you were the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and full of truth. And we just thank you that right now as we turn our attention to your word, that it just comes alive before us, that you teach us and you instruct us, and you let it come to root down on the inside of us so that it can grow and bear fruit in our lives. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last week we started into a new series on the book of Colossians. And we said that we're going to do a book study through this for the first part of this year. Um, which is a little different than how we normally preach. You know, when you preach topically... What happens is you're, you're a little bit in this book and a little bit in that book because you're going to where that topic is talked about. But I, I felt that we needed to go through the book of Colossians and look at how it's in order because sometimes what, what Paul brought up a certain topic to lead you into something else. He's like, you need to know this so that this can come alive. And then he says, and because when that begins to begin fruit, you'll begin to change in this area. And really what's important is that we understand context. It's very easy to make the Bible say whatever you, you want it to say if you take it out of its context. But we need to know how to read the Bible in context. And some questions you got to ask is, who is being written to? And why are they being written to? Those are important questions. Because Paul may be answering a question about something that you're not even thinking about. And so when we back up from just focusing in on one verse or two verses, and we look at the context as a whole, it allows us to keep things in balance and be theologically proper about what we talk about. And I even experienced this this week as I was, I, I, I have an app on my phone that I usually, I program, it's like, okay, if I'm going to read the Bible through in a year, it tells me what chapters to read each, each day, and sometimes I do it topically. And what, this week, there was a, I was reading through, and where the reading, ended, I was like, well, that's not where it should end. It needed two more verses to show you what he was actually meaning there. And so you can, like I said, you can make the Bible say whatever you want if you take it out of its context. People do it all the time. You know, we say things like, oh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That wasn't God who said that. That was Job in his whining. And the Lord rebuked him and sent people to correct him. And when he changed his attitude and prayed for his friends, then he was healed. And so his thing was like, oh, this is God's fault. And no, he, God said, no, it's the thing you greatly feared has come upon you. And so when you take that out of its context, it looks like God's a jerk. It's like sometimes he's going to give and sometimes he's going to take. No, it says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father in whom there is no shadow of turning. 
And so if James could say that and it be true, we have to understand the context of who was talking in Job. It wasn't God, it was Job. So you don't build your theology about somebody else's whining. You build your theology about the declarations of the Lord and what he said. And so when we're looking at the book of Colossians, we said you gotta, you got to know who it is that's being written to and why they're being written to. And so here I'll pull up our map again. You can see here there's Church of Colossae there over off on the right side. And it is in the province of Phrygia, which is right next to the Roman province of Galatia, where Paul wrote his letter to the Galatians. But the Church of Colossae was a smaller city within the region. And it had once been very prominent through there. And during when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, it is decreasing in prominence. And there's a very important reason why. The Romans were very good road builders. There's roads that they have built that have endured for 2,000 years, that they're still existing today. And when the Romans, who are the ruling powers of this area of the world during this time, when they came through, they decided, okay, we need to make some new trade routes and change some of the roads that we're going through. And so they moved the road where the, tra the trade routes from the east, from Asia in the east, would come through. And they used to go through Colossae, but they were moved north. And so we see that as trade was moved away from Colossae, the city began to decrease in prominence and importance. The cities that were important in Phrygia was the church of La or the city of Laodicea and the city of Hierapolis. Now, it was interesting. There, there was an English theologian about 150 years ago. He called the church at Colossae the most insignificant among the churches. That's an interesting comment. In his view, he said, Colossae is like the most insignificant amongst the churches. And it sparked debate in his time about whether we should really care what the Apostle Paul had to say to them because they were unimportant. And that is such a horrible mentality to have. And when it comes to theology and theologians, sometimes you get bogged down in the information and you miss the heart. And when you look at it, why would Paul write a letter to the church at Colossae and not have a big prominent letter to Laodicea? What did Jesus say? He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so when we look at the church of Colossae, they may be, if you look on the surface, the least of these but they're in the center of God's heart. And it speaks to us that it doesn't matter how insignificant you may feel, God sees you as important and vital in the body of Christ. And he's going to give you wisdom. He's going to give you understanding. He will direct your paths. He's going to perform miracles on your behalf because in his eyes, you are not insignificant. You're not the least of these. You are the apple of his eye. And as he cares for one, he cares for another. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, we may have parts within our body that we seem as a, you know, less, uh, we don't want to show off. But God says he gives the most prominence to those parts. And so when, when we look at the church of Colossae, they may be insignificant, but they are very significant in the eyes of God. They, what he was saying when he would say that would be essentially like, why would God send a letter to us here in Smith Falls when right next door is Ottawa? Wouldn't it be more important to send a letter to Ottawa? But think about what happened. If Laodicea was the prominent city of this region, do you know what happened in the book of Revelation? 
God sent a letter to them through John. And what did he say? I, you are neither hot nor cold, so I spit you out of my mouth. Meaning their fire had grown cold. They weren't all in with God. It was like they were over here and over there, and they had lost the focus. And so why did God write to Colossae? Because their heart was after him. And God will move mountains to get to one person standing in faith. Come on, when I was in school, we had all kinds of different pastors come in and they would spend a week sharing with us. We had one pastor who had his church out in the middle of a cornfield and had over 5,000 people coming to it and it was nowhere near any of the cities. Why? Because they had a heart after God and when people have a heart after God, they'll go wherever they need to go. You know, when we, when we were on fire for things of God in the early days, my parents would drive us all over the place just to get to somewhere where people were actually excited about the things of God. We would get up on a Sunday morning, and we would drive four hours to Toronto just to be in a meeting, and now we can't get people to drive four minutes. Why? Because people's hearts have grown cold, like the church of Laodicea. Come on. Whenever there's things like, I want to be in the things of God. I want to experience the things of God. He is the most important part of my life and when I put him first man he just keeps leading more and more and more and it's like when you give him that honor and you give him the place that is due things begin to change in your life and so who were these people that were at the church of Colossae they have an interesting background from a genetic standpoint they were a mix of Thracians and Hittites were the people that settled this region and so the Thracians they were off on the on the west coast of Turkey and the Hittites they kind of roamed around and we hear about them in the Old Testament as being people that would come down and raid into Israel and try and steal their crops and steal their gold and you know carry away slaves and the Israelites would have to beat them off just like the rest of the other that we hear, like the high tights, the parasites, and you know, all these different ones. The high tights were one of those ites, and so they were from this region. So it was a mix of Thracians and a, and a mix of high tights that populated this area. But there was also something very significant that also that it gives it plays into their background is that when Persia came through the area, I said that Roman was the Romans were the ruling power at this time, but before that it was the Persians, before that it was the Babylonians. And so the Persians, when they were ruling this area, and when they had taken over parts of Israel, they relocated 2,000 Jewish people to right around the area of Colossae. And you say, why would they do that? Well, it was it's something that was actually quite common that we don't realize. When they took over areas, they would move populations around because if you move 2,000 foreigners into an area, they begin fighting each other instead of fighting you. And so the Persians had taken over large areas, and they wanted people, rather than uniting to fight them and take their territory back, they put foreigners in there with them so that they would fight each other and ha lose the focus on them. It was actually really smart, and a lot of empires did that. And so it gives us an interesting mix of people who are at the Church of Colossae. And so it also gives an interesting religious background. And so Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 is where we started last week. And Paul said, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those of Laodicea, so the, the, the city that's right near them, and as for as many who have not seen my face in the flesh. And so Paul is writing to people that he has not met personally. And so that's interesting. He, he's, so the things that he's going to cover 
in the book of Colossians are the things that he feels are important that he wants to make sure that they know. And so what we see in the book of Colossians are the important things. And he tells, tells them why he's writing. He says that their hearts may be encouraged and that being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. He says that you may attain to the profit or the abundance of having a full assurance of understanding. Paul's writing so that they, he knows that they know because when he knows that they know, he can treat them a little bit differently. And he can talk to them a little differently. When he hears certain things are going on, he's like, no, 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 no. Go back to what we talked about. He wants to have the assurance that they have a full understanding. And to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And those last two statements, the wisdom and knowledge and the mystery that is hidden in God, is Paul putting his finger on understanding he knows the background that they come from. And so he's going to say certain things, certain ways in the book of Colossians because he knows their background. And when we talk about the religious makeup of this area, it was very Eastern Asian Oriental style religions through this area. They're not people that grew up going to the, t the, the temple in Jerusalem. They're not people that grew up making all the sacrifices and keeping all the festivals and feasts. Even the Jews that had been moved to this area, the, the his, historical documents tell us that they were Essian Jews, which means they had a more mystical brand of Judaism than what you would find in Israel. And the other thing that's interesting about those Essian Jews is that they were very apocalyptic. They believed that the world was going to end at any moment and they were going to have to be the ones to establish a new kingdom. Well, Jesus had already come and he said that I come to establish the kingdom. The kingdom of God had already started. And so these Essian Jews were very mystical in the way that it, and they would believe that you have to perform these ceremonies and that by going through these mystical ceremonies, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of these other gods and, and creatures and even into the worship of angels that it would reduce re release hidden information to you. So when Paul says, I want you to know the mystery of God, which is hidden in Jesus, he's taking their focus off of those mystical ceremonies and he's saying, when you focus on God, all wisdom and understanding, all knowledge has been hidden in him. So he's directing their eyes off of what they've known religiously and directing them to where it should be because wisdom and understanding will flow to you from Jesus. Amen? So let's get back to chapter 1. Last week we didn't make it very far. We only got to verse number 9. And I, I don't think we're going to make it much further than that today. But we got lots of time. In Colossians chapter 1 it starts like this in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I highlighted it there. This is, is very important. He says, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Paul says, I'm writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And what Paul is saying, he's like, it was not my idea to be doing this. It was something that God has called me into. 
Paul's saying, the, I was led into the will of God that he drew me this direction. Come on, we know the story of Paul, that he used to be one that would persecute the Christians, that he would take them off to jail. He would vote for them to be executed. He was heading on his way to Damascus to do more of what he had already done in Jerusalem when the power of God knocked him down and light shone from heaven and Jesus said, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, Paul's response was, who are you? Lord. He's like, in that moment, he knew exactly who he was. You are the Lord. And he says, I am Jesus in whom you are persecuting. And so when we hear this statement from Paul that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, you've got to understand this was not on Paul's five-year plan. It wasn't on his 10-year plan. And there's a lot of things that we may think, oh, I'm going to go do this. You've got to understand what the will of the Lord is. He may be drawing you in a different direction that will bring you more joy and fulfill you more than anything that you could do, any plan that you may have. We read it, we said last week in Proverbs chapter 19, it says, Many are the plans of a man, but it's the Lord's purposes that will stand. It's important that we understand that the Lord has a purpose for you. He has plans for you. He has things for you to pursue that are not your plans. And it's more important to follow His plans for you than your plans for you. It's better to be at the job he calls you to than the job that you think you want. Because he knows what will truly satisfy you. He knows what will be fulfilling for you. He knows all of your gifts and talents and how to best use them. And so Paul says, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ because of the will of God. And I'm writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. And because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven and of which you have heard before in, in the word of truth and in the gospel, which has come to you as it has also into all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it also is among you since the day you heard and you knew the grace of God in truth. And so Paul said the thing that's producing fruit throughout the world and the thing that was producing fruit in you, Church Colossae, is your understanding of the grace of God in truth. That he's got unmerited and undeserved favor that he pours out on you. That he's got more good things for you than you could ever earn or you could ever deserve. And he's got that grace that ever flows and never gives up and never lets up. And he says this in verse 7. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras has let us know that your love abounds, and it's not just a love, it's a love for the things of the Spirit. Come on, there's so much of the church has, has no interest in the things of the Spirit. I remember Brother Hagin said that if these are not caught, uh, shown and demonstrated by one generation, they'll be lost. 
And so we constantly need to be looking to the things of the Spirit and remembering that He has gifts for you. He has things that are not natural for you. Jesus said, don't leave the city of Jerusalem until you get the Spirit. And when you get the Spirit, Paul tells you what begins to happen. He tells you that words of wisdom begin to flow, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, miracles and healings, discerning of spirits, gifts of faith. There's things that begin to happen when you give yourself to the things of the Spirit that take you above the natural order of this world. Because you've not been called to just be a natural person. You are a king and a priest unto God. Peter called us a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. And so Epaphras said to Paul, these are people that have a love for the things of the Spirit. And what does that lead Paul to do? And he says, for this reason, for this reason, because of your love for the things of the Spirit, for this reason, we also, since we heard that, we don't cease to pray for you. Why? Because Paul knows that when I pray, not in my understanding, but Paul said, I'll pray with my understanding, and I'll pray in the Spirit. He said, I'll sing with my understanding, and I'll sing in the Spirit. He says, "If I, I know that you love the things of the Spirit, so let's talk to the Holy Spirit, because I know He'll sort you out. He'll straighten things out. And so when I heard that you love the things of the Spirit, we have not stopped praying for you. We don't cease to pray for you. And here's where I want to focus on today. The first thing that Paul was praying for them, he says, And we ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will. Come on. He didn't say, oh, that you'll make them rich. He said, no, Lord, that they'll understand your will. Why? Because when you're standing in the will of God, you'll be standing in the provision of God. When you're standing in the will of God, you'll be standing in the protection of God. When you're standing in the will, you'll find your true purpose. Come on, when you want to find prosperity, get in the will of God. You know, stop seeking the things of the world. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things I already know you have need of will be added unto you. And so the first thing that Paul begins to pray for them about is, Lord, reveal unto them and fill them to the overflow with the knowledge of your will, what you would have them to do. And so what does that speak to us as Christians? That my direction is not my own. That my will is not what should be the, have supremacy in my life. What I desire and what I want should yield to the will and to the desires of the Lord. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with all the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and all spiritual understanding. And that word that he uses there is the word thelema. And it's that they would be filled with what one wishes or has determined should be done that they would be filled with the understanding of what God wishes and what God has decided should be done. I read a quote a few weeks ago that said, We sing about our powerful God and how good he is, but yet we treat him as though we're smarter. We'll do what I want and not what he wants. No, Jesus, if we're talking about the will of God, in his moment of need, he, he, he's in the garden, he's about to go to the cross, and he's feeling the pressure and the weight of all the sin and the shame coming upon him, and he prays, he says, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, it's but not my will, your will be done. Which Jesus had a will, 
and you have a will. And Jesus knew that the best thing he could do was conform his will to the word of God. And I, I for one, am happy he chose God's will over his. And you should too. Because then you'd still be dead in your trespasses and sins if he chose to go with how he felt and what he desired. But no, he yielded himself to the will of God, what God wished and what God determined should be done. But I love the second half of the definition of the word thelema. It's the purpose to bless mankind through Christ. And so when we talk about fulfilling the will of God or seeking the will of God, in a lot of Christianity, we treat that as though it's some sort of punishment. You know, oh, God wants me to do this, but I don't really want to do this. That's because we don't understand that the purpose of the will of God is for you to be blessed through Christ Jesus. When he leads you into his will, he's leading you into his protection. When he leads you into his will, he's leading you into his provision and his purposes. And so the will of God is not a punishment. As I heard one person say a long time ago, oh, I don't really want to pray to God because I'm sure that if I yield my will to his, he'll send me to Africa. Maybe he will, but I'm guessing he probably won't. He'll send you to your neighbor first. (laughs) And so there's a will for us, and that will is not a punishment. That will is not drudgery. That will is not boring. Come on, the will of God will fulfill you in ways that your desires will not. And you think, well, if I have to, if he tells me to stop doing this, I'm going to be miserable. No, the will of God will give you joy. The will of God will bring you peace. The will of God will bring you into provision. You know, I I remember a a few years ago, my sister was here preaching uh, in Christmas. I think it's probably about four years ago now. And she was talking a little bit about the will of God, and she was sharing out of her own life how she's a Canadian girl, married an an American from California. They got married, they moved there, and of course you have to wait a little while while you get the paperwork done so that you can be a landed immigrant or whatever, and that you get your your, uh, um, green card to be able to work. And so she had been waiting for a little while, and finally when she got that residency and the permission to be able to work, she's like, great, I'm bored. And if you know my sister, she doesn't know how to relax. You know, she just goes, 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 and goes, and goes. So, like, when it's finally like, okay, now I can go get a job, she started applying, and, and it wasn't long, where she had three different opportunities come up. And now amongst these three different opportunities, there was one that paid more and had more hours. And so naturally, you think, okay, that's the one that I should be going to. And when she thought, began thinking and praying about that job, it just seems like, Well, that just doesn't seem right. Though in the natural, you'd be like, yes, I want to be busy, and I want to make, if I'm going to be busy, I might as well get paid well for it. And so she's like, you'd think that that would be the one. And then there was one job that was in the middle, and then there was one job that was on the low end. It didn't have as many hours, and it didn't pay as well. And so in the natural, you think, I don't want that one. But as she was praying about this, it's like she kept getting drawn back to that one that paid less, And had less hours. 
And finally, she was like, I just, I just got to do it. I got to, it's what I feel in my heart that the Holy Spirit is leading me to take this job, and I don't know why. And it ended up being, it was a job within a school district, and she was working in the office doing paperwork. But as she began to work that job, and she was exposed to a whole new sector than what she had ever worked in, she began to have different dreams arise in her heart, thinking, I think I want to be a high school teacher. And her life up until that point was not heading in that direction. But as she yielded to the will of God, a new purpose and a new dream began to come forth. And there will be things that you will only ever discover in your life when you take that step of obedience to follow the will of God. Where you've spent your whole time like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Here's my 10-year plan, my 5-year plan, whatever. But when the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 go this direction, there's things that you've never even considered begin to come alive. Because the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And you have to take that step. And when you take that step, things begin to open. And so she had this new dream and this new vision began to form in her heart that didn't exist before taking this job. And so she went back to school. She got her degree. And then she, she got her teaching degree. And then from there, it went on. she got her master's. And then she thought, hey, why don't I just go get a second master's? Because, you know, she's crazy like that. You know, always wants to be in school, raising kids, pastoring a church. And it was just like, but she just kept taking those steps. And now she's doing things today that she never would have considered 20 years ago because she took that step to conform her will to the will of God. I preached a message uh, probably about 10 years ago now called Your Will, His Will, and the Other Guy. And when we're talking about the will of God, there's some different voices that begin to speak. And the first one is your will. There's always what you, you know what you want to do. And you can generally tell the voice of the Holy Spirit when you want to do this, but you feel like you should do this. That's when you know it's not your voice that's the, the one listening. That's when the will of God begins to, to rise up and you're like, I want to do this. And it's just something like, but that's just not right. It doesn't seem right. And the Holy Spirit will lead you that way. It's amazing when you read the book of Acts where it just, it's say, they say statements like, it seemed good to us to do this. Why? Because that's how the Holy Spirit leads you through the inward witness. This seems like the right path. There's just a peace about it. That's how the Holy Spirit leads you. It's not with anxiety and worry and fret. If you're being forced to make a decision out of those things, that's not God. But when it seems like this is good, it's just, it's hard to describe. It's just like, this is right. And if you really analyze yourself, you understand how it feels when it's not right. Brother Hagin used to say it's like having a shower with your socks on. Something's not right. It just feels weird. It's like, eh, it's just not right. It's a, it's a check on the inside where the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 don't go that way. That's not what I have for you. You know, we can see this played out in the book of Acts of this very region. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Fergia. Where is Fergia? That's where the church of Colossae is, where Laodicea is. When they had gone through that area, 
and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And so if we check back to our map, they went through Colossae, and right to the right of it would be Galatia, and then they were planning on heading east into the rest of Asia. Turkey was considered Asia Minor. They were heading out further into Asia. They were going to probably head through what is now Iran and just keep on going. There was India that direction. There's China that direction. They were heading east. They were going into the unknown territories. And it says that the Holy Spirit forbid them from going into that area. Paul had a will. I'm going east. And the Holy Spirit said, no. So what did he do? Well, it says, after they had come to Mycia. Well, where is Mycia? It's absolutely the other direction. It's going back through Galatia and Phrygia and a little bit northwest. They come to Mycia. And from Mycia, it says they tried to go to Bithynia, which is going north. And where would north get them? It would hit them to the Black Sea. And crossing the Black Sea, they would go into what is now Eastern Europe. But it says, but the Spirit didn't permit them. And so they started heading in a direction that they wanted to go and that they thought would be good, but the Holy Spirit said, eh, that's not right. So what did they do? They turned around. And so passing back to Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Now Troas is on the coast, the northwest coast of Turkey. And it says, as they were in, Tur in Troas, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after seeing the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. That is so great. In every place that they tried to go, it was like, no, that's not right. So they didn't keep going. They turned around. And when they got to the next, it was like, nope. They turned around until the Lord finally said, here's where I have you to go. And you can be led just as much by what the Holy Spirit doesn't say as by what he does say. You get out in a direction, and if he says stop, stop. I know that seems so simple, but if we would just follow that wisdom, you'll find yourself right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. I don't do it because I want to. We do it because he wants to. And he knows what will fulfill me better than ever I will. You know, Paul said this to the twin epistle of, of, in Ephesians. He says, therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be unwise. And more modern way of saying is, don't be stupid. Know what God wants. But first, we have to come to the realization and consideration that God does have plans and desires for us. That's a good place to start. Why? Because if you never stop and actually ask him, Lord, what do you want? You won't seek that input. You know, in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul writes to them, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Think about what Paul just said. He's like, present yourself to be used by the Lord. It's the least you could do, is what Paul said. 
He's like, it's the least you could do. He came down from heaven. He set his power aside, and he came and he died for you. This is the least you can do. Come on. This is not even the best you could do. This is the least you could do. And he says this, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and what is the acceptable and what is the perfect will of God. And this is a really important statement that Paul makes, that you may prove what is good what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. He didn't do anything about what is the wrong. He talked about what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Because sometimes standing in the perfect will of God means saying no to some good things because he's taking you on to better things. And this is why we don't walk by our own sight, our own understanding. We walk by faith. Because there'll be times where it's like, but this looks like a great opportunity. And God's saying, I've got a better one over here you haven't seen yet. And so we'll recognize what's good in light of what's perfect rather than being so focused on, here's a good opportunity, let's just go ahead. And then he says, what is acceptable? Paul told the Corinthians, he says, all things are lawful to you, but not all things are beneficial. There's things that you can spend your time with, but they won't bring you any benefit or any profit. And Paul meant it so much, he told them to them twice. He said, everything is lawful, so just because you can doesn't mean you should. Come on, do we need to say that again? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Because there's things that you will waste your time on when God has better things that will satisfy your heart even more than the wasting time over here. And so he says that when we begin to transform our minds to the will of God, we prove out what is good, what is acceptable, and what is the perfect will of God. There is a poem by an unknown author that goes like this. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, and where the riches of God cannot supply you, and where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the spirit of God cannot work through you and where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you and where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God can't unfold you, the, where the mercies of God cannot sustain you, and where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, where the authority of God will not work for you. And the will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, and where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, and where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. And when we find ourselves in the smack dab in the middle of God's will for us, we will find the provision, the protection, and everything that we need. And if you're finding yourself standing out in the area going like, God, where are you? Maybe he's not the one missing that you were supposed to be over here. Come on. You go back to the last thing he told you to do, and you get busy with it. Come on, because if it's your, desi your desires and your emotions that lead you somewhere, uh, your desires and your emotions will also lead you away from it. 
And that's why we see so many fickle people in today. One day they're like, oh, this is great, and then they're gone. We can talk about churches that way. People go based upon how they feel socially. No, you need to be where God wants you to be, where you can grow and where you can thrive, and stop saying, well, it looks better over there. Yeah, maybe to your eyes, but to your spirit, come on, the church you go to can kill you. Come on. You don't believe me? I've seen good faith people get into unfaith churches and die of cancer because there was no one there to believe with them, no one there to encourage them. Come on. When you get in the will of God, you find that support and that provision that you need for every situation. And so we stop looking with our natural eyes. And so Paul prays and he says, And I ask that they may be, you be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He said spiritual understanding, not natural understanding. Right? Things that are discerned by the Spirit of God. Things that are understood by the will of God. And you could say, well, I just don't know what the will of God is. Start with what the Word has said. Right? When John prays, beloved, I, 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 my wish and my desire for you is that you prosper and be in health. Let's actually take that as something that he actually meant. God's desire for me is to prosper and to be in health even as my soul prospers. Come on, we can just start with what the word of God, because the word of God is the will of God. He will never say something to you in his word that is outside of his will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see why walking in the will of God is so important. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, We are God's fellow workers, Paul talking about himself, and he says, You are God's field, and you are God's building. And so when he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says, You are the field. Who gets to decide what gets planted in the field? The farmer, not the field. The farmer decides what gets planted. Who gets to decide what gets built? The building or the builder? The builder. And he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man builds on it. And he says this, but let each one take heed how he builds upon it. And so we come to Jesus, we have that moment, we step from life, death into life, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. What do you do after that? Take heed how you build upon that moment. Jesus is not just supposed to be the foundation. He's supposed to be woven through every part of our life. Amen? There, there, God is not an addition to our lives. He is the center of it all. And it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and wood and hay and straw, and those are all good things, but they are not to be the center of our lives. Come on, after, after pastoring and being a Christian for a long time, you can get a little perspective about people and how they come to God and God births things in their lives. And then those, that thing that begins to get built, they take and they put it above God. And they begin to exalt that. You know, God launch you out, launches them out into a business. And then the business becomes the God. You need to be careful that you don't turn good things into your God. 
He says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, all good things, it says each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. It says, and if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. This is why this is very important, and it has been strong on my heart as soon as we stepped into 2024 to talk about this, is because it's important. What you are doing now has an impact on what your, re your reward in eternity. I want on that day when my life is tested for the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. And that's what happens if any, it says, if anyone's work which is built endures, he receives an award, a reward. But it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. This is interesting. And it's not saying you're not going to make heaven, but the time you spent here on earth was all for nothing because it burnt up. It was a waste of time. Think about that. How you live your life matters. God's not going to say, good job. Thanks for wasting the time. He's going to say, I had things for you to do. Things that would have given you joy more than you ever could imagine. And when we walk in the will of God on that day when it stands, he says, here's your reward. So he says to the church at Colossae, I'm praying for you guys, and I want you to be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So that you can walk worthy of the Lord. That word means in a manner becoming your station, fitting your station. You want a good good uh, 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 picture of this? Think back 100 years ago, 150 years ago to a more aristocratic society. When you were part of the upper echelon of society, you dressed in a way that reflected that. You socialized in a way that reflected that. You dined in a way that reflected that. Why? Because it was becoming or fitting of your, there's your station. When we walk in the will of God, it causes us to will, walk in a way that is fitting of our station as sons and daughters of God. I walk worthy of the Lord. And the Lord's like, man, that's my kid. Look at him. He looks good. And it says, fully pleasing him. Why is it pleasing to him? We spent six months months on faith. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. And so when we recognize the will of God and say, yes, I want that. Yes, I walk in that. God's like, yeah, my boy, my daughter, they want, they want what I want. We want the same things. That makes me happy. That brings me joy. And as it's pleasing to him, it says we're being fruitful in every good work. Come on, standing in the will of God will cause you to be fruitful in every good work instead of just winning some of the time. Come on, winning all the time's better. And he says, and as we begin to be fruitful in every good work, we increase in the knowledge of him. Amen? And so the will of God is so important. Whenever you have a decision... You should stop. 
and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because his input is important. Where you go is important. Where you don't go is important. How you live your life is important. He'll bring things up to you and say, I want you to stop doing that. And you're like, why? That's fun. That's good. And he's saying, yes, but what I have for you is better. Come on. He says, what would you have me to do? Lord, here I am. I am yours to command. I want to be found right in the center of what you have for us. And so, Father, we just ask that we be filled with all of the knowledge of your will today in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We know that you have plans and purposes and things for us to pursue with our lives, Lord. We just offer ourselves up today as living sacrifices. You know, I can say that, that we offer us up, ourselves up, but really I can't offer you up. Only you can present yourself before God to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Is there something you want me to change? Is there a direction you would have me to go? Lord, I present myself. I present myself before you, Lord, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. Hallelujah. Lord, we honor you. Hallelujah. Grace upon grace. Yes. Has been set before you. Man. Power to run your race. has been allocated for you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So come with me and follow me into those wide open spaces. Hallelujah. Places of my grace. Places of my peace for you. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for the good things that you have for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you go with us. You're not just here with us on Sundays, but you go with us wherever we go. Lead us in your paths of peace. Show us things to come. Bring things to our remembrance. Lord, direct our steps, just like you did with Paul as he traveled. No, 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 don't go there. Come on over here. I've got work for you to do. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. You know, when Paul accepted that call for the Macedonian call, it is, it is believed that that was Luke, the doctor, calling out and praying out, come on over here. And as Paul got over into Macedonia... That's where he founded the church of Philippi. And that's where he founded the church of Thessaloniki. But that connection with Dr. Luke was so important and so necessary for the body of Christ. Why? Because Luke went on to write the book of Acts. Luke went on to write the book of Luke. 
And where do you think he got all of those stories about Paul? It's through that supernatural connection by them walking in the will of God. When you're outside of the will of God, you'll miss valuable connections that you need. Not only that you need, that those around you need, that future generations need. Come on, as you learn to follow the lead and the walk in the will of God, it'll affect your kids. It'll affect your grandkids. Come on, my, my own family is a testimony of that. My grandparents are not like this. My parents stepped out because the Lord led them that direction. And our family changed. And it's affected now to the grandchildren. And it won't be a few more years. I'm sure you guys will be affecting into the great-grandchildren. But the choices that you make and where you choose to walk and what you choose to do, they are affecting your destiny. Let's make wise choices. Amen. Pastor Rob. Well, glory be to God. You know, as it was, as uh, Pastor Jordan was saying, you know, um, in the book of Acts, where it said that the Holy Ghost said, it seemed to us, seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost to do, do certain things. And so even just this morning, as, um, as I was preparing for, you know, for what to do in the offering, um, God led me to, the Holy Spirit led me to uh, Proverbs um, ch chapter 3. And I wasn't going to use this, but I just couldn't get away from it. So when you know that, when you just, it just keeps coming before you, that's the way you have to go. And, and it so ties into what Pastor Jordan shared here. Now, in, in uh, chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, this is Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. In verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And isn't that what you were sharing uh, about following the will of God, right? And uh, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Then it goes on to say, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And then this is where we pick it up here for the, um, uh, for the offering. Honor, that means to esteem or highly regard. And that is a process that you do all the time. It's not just in giving which is we're about to go into here, but you honor or you esteem God or his will for you. That is, a, you know, the, the one thing at work that, uh, that, that upsets me more than anything is I'll give instructions for something to happen a certain way or whatever, and it's not followed, it's not done. And it's like, I know I put myself in God's place, it's like God has a will for you, but if you don't do it, that's so disrespectful. Amen? And so anyway, we go on. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and now and your vats will overflow with wine. Amen? Amen. So um, you can give that way online or you can use an envelope in the, in the seat in front of you and a basket at the back. Amen? Amen. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge Him in all things that you do. Amen? Amen. Uh, word care team, we do have one. It's just going to start. <laughs> Amen. If you need prayer or ministry, um, you know what? Let, let, when the word care team goes up there, no matter who it is, you need, if you need anything, whatever, 
when you go up there, draw the gifts out of them. Okay? Always go up with an expectation you're going to receive what you're going up for. If it's a word that God has for you, they'll give you a word that God has for you. You know, and it may not be, thus saith the Lord, but it may just be in the conversation you're having. I like a light bulb will turn on. Amen? Uh, it could be gifts of healing, miracles, signs and wonders. Amen? But pull from that. Amen? Amen. You are blessed. Sorry. You know, just something that keeps popping up in my heart that I can't seem to get away with, that if you, if you want to take a moment and seek the Lord and say, Lord, what's, what's your will for me? Here I submit myself. I want to I wanna open up the altar here. That You can come, you can kneel down here, you can find, find a chair here at the front to kneel down and just ask the Lord. You know, and the thing of opportunity is you get to choose whether you take it up. And there you'll, you'll find benefits from seizing opportunities, but no one will ever make you do it. And so if you need prayer, you can come over and see Jessica. But Toph's going to play, play for a minute here. And if you want to take a moment before having coffee and seek the will of God, I believe that this is the time. The atmosphere is open for that. The environment is right for the Lord just to speak quietly to your heart and direct you, correct you, and move you, and draw you into his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So if you'd like to join me, you can do that, but I'm going to seek the Lord for a moment. If not, have a coffee and have a great week.